This episode of The How of Car Washing is sponsored by Diamond Shine. Diamond Shine is the premier car wash chemical manufacturer dedicated to maximizing the profitability and performance of car washes nationwide. Visit diamondshine.com today to learn from the industry experts. Welcome to the How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the How of Car Washing. Your host is David Begin, and my guest today is Bryant Reuter from Sobright Technologies in Illinois. They offer a lot of different solutions in water treatment. They offer a lot of filtration systems, reverse osmosis, basic wash systems, water softeners, reclaim systems, filtration, and odor control products. And Bryant is a general manager. Bryant, and we we had a discussion with Bryant uh, uh, about a month or two ago about water reclaim. We're going to focus on water quality today. But Bryant, thank you so much for joining me again on our podcast. Well, thank you, David. I appreciate we finally get, we're able to get back together. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. So I'm I'm in the throes of building a new wash, and one thing I've not thought about is the water quality. I, I need to go check with my water district. I know the water districts are good about gathering the water quality information and what's in the water. I need to go take a look at that as I start thinking about finishing out my wash. But a lot of people, you know, when you talk about water quality, if you want to kind of describe to us, what are we thinking about when we think about quality? What, what makes good quality water? What makes bad quality water? Well, it, it's interesting because most people don't think about water. I mean, we just all, because we're in the United States, our water's just good everywhere. But when we start washing a car, and I'm sorry, I'm putting an R in my wash. So, but when no you're washing a car, uh, <laughs> that way I want to cover everybody that can understand what I yeah. say. So I'll float back and forth when I'm concentrating hard. I'll say wash. Otherwise I'll go okay. wash. <laughs> but no, no worries. But we, uh, we wash, um, when you're in the water side of the business, you start looking at all the different impurities that are actually in the city water supply or your well water supply. And the big part we look at is what is the hardness of the water? What is the total dissolved solids, which is called TDS? Those are the two factors that, first of all, that all water sources have some kind of reading on that. And so those are the things that we look at first when we start looking at the the water supply or the municipal water supply that can come into your, uh, your location. And then so, we just go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh yeah. I was just going to ask what, what determines, so what, you know, if you have what's good quality water or bad quality, what, what are the characteristics or conditions that cause good quality water or poor quality water in a water system? The, the first thing people look at would be how hard is your water? Um, you know, is it, the, and water hardness is the calcium and magnesium that's in the water source. Most municipalities treat it somehow and reduce it because uh, most water sources, well, it could come from wells or a uh, stream of water, actually, like maybe through a river, through a city or something like that. But you want to know how hard the water is so you can decide, do you need a water softener in the building? Hard water is actually considered anything one grain, well, one grain of hardness or less is considered soft water in the the water world, so to speak. Um, so we look at that and say, okay, do we need to put a water softener in the building uh, for the car wash? Because your chemicals, your especially now with all the uh, the foam that we are applying in uh, car washes today, 
you really need to have a good fresh water source. And typically it's going to be soft, uh, a good fresh water source. So that can let your foams foam up and give you that good, heavy foam, uh, show that you're looking for, as opposed to a, the way I describe it is the end of a shaving can. You know, when you get your very last shot of your shaving cream, it's mm-hmm. no longer foamy. It's more of a wet foam that comes out. And, uh, right. So you want to have the light, fluffy foam for your show, for your customers, because that's what they're looking for. They want to see that sticking to their car and thinking, wow, this is really cool. So those are the things we try and look for um, by knowing what the hardness is first. And then once you know the hardness, then you decide whether you need to put a water softener in. Um, this, the same characteristics go true now, but you don't see this happening like feeding the pretreatment for like an RO unit. You want to have soft water going to that or a good clean water source so you don't scale over the membrane that's actually doing the uh, uh, reverse osmosis process because the water hardness molecules like to plug the tiny pores uh, of the membrane itself on the RO unit. So they kind of go hand in hand. First, what's the water quality? Do I have soft water? And then can I feed it into my RO unit? So the, the, the hardness, the, the hardness in terms of grains, that's a measurement, right? That's a unit of measure used yes. in this. How, how do they determine that? And it seems like it's a pretty, pretty short range. I mean, it goes from one to maybe five or 10, but what's when, when they say one, one grain of hardness, how, how are they, is, is it the amount of stuff in the water? I mean, is it run through kind of a filter? Is that how they measure it or? No, it's actually done through titration, just like when you test your chemicals and stuff to see how strong a chemical you, you're doing. So it's just a titration test typically. Now you can buy the litmus papers also, like if you have a swimming pool, people, you know, just dip the, uh, the strips into their pool to see how hard their water is and how much chlorine and stuff. But most places that would do a titration to see how many, uh, grains of hardness it is. Another example is one grain of hardness, and this gets to a different level, but the one grain of hardness is equivalent to 17.1 parts per million. And when you start looking at an RO unit, you're thinking, okay, well, parts per million, now I understand I need to have low parts per million or low total dissolved solids um, so I don't have spotting on my vehicles. So one grain of hardness is equivalent to 17.1 parts per million. Kind of gives you a scale there. Okay. Um, to give people a little better understanding. And, and so water quality, just to, to back up a little bit, it's so important in the car wash environment because of the product we produce. So to really be able to clean a car and even more so being able to dry a car completely if we're not hand drying it, it's really important that we have the right water quality uh, because it helps the chemicals. It helps, you know, the interaction uh, the, with, with, with the chemicals. So the chemicals can do the very best job they can. I would think mm-hmm. that's correct. So you, the, the better, the water, the better show and the better, the cleaner the car is going to be because, and the less chemicals you'll use actually. Uh, so if you had, uh, let's just say a water hardness of, uh, 10 grains of hardness, you'll actually use more detergents because the, those detergents first get consumed into the water hardness, and then they can start acting, you know, start doing their cleaning. But that hardness likes to absorb the uh, hardness coming, or the, the chemical is absorbed first into the water hardness, and then any residual after it deals with that, then it can start doing your cleaning abilities. Okay. Uh, okay. Does that make sense? Like, you know, if you yeah. were to take a, a, 
I always tell people, just take a water bottle uh, and pour half of it, get brand new water if you want. And because typically bottled water is purified water. Most of them are. And then dump half of it out and then put the other one with, get another bottle of the same size and put, fill it half full of your city water supply. And then put the same amount of drops of soap in each one and shake them up. And you'll see a difference real quick. Most of the time, uh, there are some places in the United States that the water quality is extremely good, uh, that water softeners are not required, but most locations, uh, are requiring water softeners. So it, is it safe to assume I'm going to make some broad generalizations? Cause that's what I do. I don't like to get into details, but, um, is it safe to assume that a certain water from a certain source is typically going to be worse than others? For example, am I, is it safe to assume if I check out my utility and the water comes mostly from reservoirs in the mountains, which it does in our area, Colorado Springs, that the water quality is going to be better than if I'm pumping well water? Is it, is it safe to make that type of generalization or typically not? You know, no, it is. It is because you're getting, you know, the, the clean, fresh snows are basically is what's filling your reservoirs. Um, and when you get well water, you're pulling out, the water's actually in the ground, you know, several feet deep, uh, sometimes hundreds of feet deep. And the mineral that's in the ground actually starts absorbing into the water because water wants to always have something in its body. It doesn't want to just be H2O. Uh, it always wants to absorb stuff in it. Um, uh, an interesting thing to look at as I like talking about it would be if you were to take again, water, just any type of water and get a same measurement and let's just say a small little spoon, um, and take a scoop of salt and put it in the water and stir it up. It'll dissolve. All that salt will be dissolved in that water. Take the same amount of sugar and put it in that same water. And you're going to think it all absorbed. But if you let it set, all of a sudden that sugar starts settling out of the water. So the salt becomes dissolved solids. The sugar becomes a suspended solid that settles back out. Right. It's kind of interesting when you start looking at that level of stuff. And most people don't even, uh, I mean, I never gave it a thought, you know, years ago, but now it's just something that we always look at. But the well waters and absorb more of the mineral and the contents, you know, especially if like in Illinois, we have a lot of limestone in our area. So our water, that's how we get our hardness then, but we get a lot of hardness and a lot of impurities, like our total dissolved solid levels typically coming out of the ground can be 500 plus TDS, which is pretty high. Right. And that's going right. to spot a car terribly. And our, and our TDS coming in uh, here in Colorado Springs is between 30 and 60, depending on, you know, what the water's doing at the time. So it's pretty low, pretty low TDS. I guess the question would be, you know, with that low of a TDS, do we even need a, uh, a RO system or do we need a water? So water softener, I think our quality was about three uh, grains, which is kind of what, I, what I'm being told is that's kind of on the border between, yeah, you need a water softener, you don't need a water softener. We went ahead in one site and got a water softener because we're kind of testing it to see what it's doing to our chemical delivery. Um, and we do have reverse osmosis systems at both washes. But uh, I guess the question sometimes is, did, did we need that at all? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I'm going to go back to the, you said it's three grains of hardness. So if we take that three grains times the 17.1, just as a, I'm going to call it a cheap way of testing your water. 
it says, you know, taking those two numbers and multiplying it, you get 51.3 parts per million. And you said your grains are between 30 and 60. So, you know, on your TDS. So -hmm. we're pretty close right there. Uh, But the part we have to factor in then is that three grains of hardness is going to leave a calcium or magnesium spot. So it actually be very small on your, in, you know, because your TDS and the hardness of the water, they all play factors. They don't, one, it's, I'm just kind of giving you a window of the impurities in there, but you might have some other contaminants that are in your well water, or I'm sorry, in your water supply um, that actually can cause spotting also. It's not only calcium and magnesium that does the spotting, but like if the city adds chlorine, if they add fluoride, all these things that are dissolved in the water. So when that water H2O evaporates, the content is then going to leave your spot on your vehicle. Okay. Um, okay. So it's so, it's interesting. Now, and I'm going to jump into a little bit more. On okay. your locations, you're actually doing some reclaim also, right? That's correct. So the reclaim water, if you were to test the total dissolved solids of the reclaim water, it will be much higher than your city water because sure. you, the reclaim water has chemical residual of soaps and waxes and drying agents and what have you in that water. So the big part is we have to start working on displacing that reclaimed water with a freshwater source and then go into the final rinse. I always suggest that people capture some of the water dripping off the car after you go through the blower. And you have to, if you catch it right away and then wait a few minutes and, you know, it's hard to catch it. I'm going to tell you that. I know the ICA is doing that water study and catching the water is very difficult. But if you can catch it and then test that water, that would actually tell you if you're going to turn out a spot-free car or not. Um, Okay. Because the water dripping off the car is going to be the contaminant level that's left on that vehicle. Now, the blowers do a good job of blowing a lot of that water off, but uh, that's something to keep a look at as you go forward into it. Is it a rare situation where you would not recommend water softeners or RO units? I mean, out of 100 car washes, would you say the majority of them or all of them or? It, it is very rare. Um, the place where I see the best water uh, is actually in the, the Atlanta area. Uh, and I call it the Appalachian area, actually, with the Appalachian Mountains, because that water has to, a lot of their water is coming from ground sources. But that water has to permeate through the rock. So that rock is actually purifying the water as it goes down in through the rock to get down to the water table, the, the water tables and stuff. Um, okay. But I find that that's some of the places that have some of the best water sources. It's up in the air, though. Again, if you're reclaiming the water, you really need to have the RO system there to give that final water. The RO water is going to help displace the impurities that are on that vehicle surface from the reclaim and the waxes and stuff. So you still might need uh, the RO system. You might not need a water softener feeding the RO. That's a question that uh, you really need to be asking yourself. Do I need a water softener? Most places, yes. But... I'll say, uh, depending on your geographic area, uh, you'll know whether you need a water softener or not. Okay. And that, that brings up another good question of where you would use a water softener. So I think when we installed our water softener, we've only used it for chemicals. Um, so when would you recommend somebody using it for the entire wash versus when they should they only be using it for certain areas of the wash? Well, you know, it's, it, this really sounds funny when I start talking about this, but um, do we want to assume you have a reclaim or not? That's, that's my okay, first so question. Okay, so I've got a reclaim. Let's go ahead and assume we're using a, a reclaim system. 
Okay, so I, earlier I had used the word displacing the water. That's the key factor. So if we start, if we pull in the, the the car in the wash and start washing it, we're going to put our chemicals on there first. The you know the pre-soak one, pre-soak two, and what have you, and that's typically going to be a soft water source, um, or concentrate water from your RO unit because that concentrate water typically, if you have a water softener in the building, is uh, soft water also. It's higher in mineral content, dissolved solids, but it's still a good soft water, clean source to use. And I would encourage people to use that in all their chemical applications. This, the detergent or uh, let's say the wash section of the car wash. So I'm going to say the first half to two thirds of the tunnel, any foaming product should be the concentrate water there. But so now you're using all of your, the reclaimed water's high TDS and your chemicals, because as soon as you add chemical to any water source, it increases the TDS also. So you're using your high TDS water at the entrance of that tunnel. Then as you start getting typically, you know, like you would go through like a high pressure application. So I'm just going through a typical layout. Mm-hmm. But all that high pressure application tops and sides should all be either reclaim. It really should be reclaim water there because those are the big water users. And then you would go into like a last mitter. That last mitter then, because the reclaimed water, everyone thinks it's going to blow off all the soap suds. Sometimes it doesn't. So you still have a lot of foam caught in the cracks and crevices of that vehicle. You want to go ahead, and I like putting in city hard water, no matter how hard the water is. I like using city hard water in that last mitter or maybe a rain bar or something in that last mitter area. Because that city hard water now is going to help neutralize your soap suds. Let's go back to doing the test with the soapy water, you know, a couple drops of soapy water and city water and soft water and RO water. You'll see three different levels of soap suds after you shake it up. And, but that city hard water then will help neutralize and knock down uh, any foam product that might be left on that vehicle surface or in the cracks and crevices where the windshield wipers are and what have you. Right. Then start doing your soaps and waxes, or not soaps, but start doing your your wax, your clear coat protectant, drying agent. I like seeing hard water there because most most of those products have hard water uh, or have silicone products in them. Silicone is another great foam neutralizer. So with the kick of city hard water and uh, your drying agent products, your your silicone products, I'll say, that again helps neutralize any soap suds that might be left on that vehicle or foaming products. It might be a you might have a foamer that is a wax or drying agent or something like that, but that helps neutralize that, and then go to the spot-free water. But we're running through the tunnel slowly, knocking TDS off the car, so the final water touching the car is a zero TDS water. Then that's really what I go after. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you're doing a lot of things to the water as you're going. You're really messing up the chemistry. By adding soaps, adding reclaim water, adding RO reject water into the process, and then you hope it all comes together at the end so that you can produce the dry, you know, car without any spots. And that's, mm-hmm. that's asking quite a bit um, from, from a car wash environment. But um, so water softeners typically just how they operate, I guess. You know, we've got two big tanks. We've got a tank that has salt in it. And I guess the water runs through the the, the membrane tanks um, using the salt water to soften it, I guess. Is that correct? Right. Um, the way to look at it, a water softener, a lot of people think that the constantly water is going into the salt tank, back out of the salt tank, going through the water softener. 
And the water softener resin bead is actually a perfectly round bead that if you've spilled some on the ground, you'd almost feel like you're walking on marbles. Um, it'd be very slippery and stuff. Mm -hmm. But the hardness and calcium, the calcium and magnesium, so the hardness molecules like to attract, they attach themselves to that resin bead. And when it attaches, it actually, a water softener is an ion exchange. It's not a removal process. So that calcium and magnesium ion attaches to the resin bead and a sodium ion kicks off and takes the place of it. So what happens is with the water softener, hard water, typically if you get a hard water spot, you have to polish that spot back off the vehicle if you have high hardness uh, levels. Well, with a water softener, a soft water spot, salt is water soluble. So that spot will wash off or you can towel dry it off if you chamois it if you have to or something of that nature. But because it's sodium is water soluble, as soon as you put water back on there, that spot wants to absorb back into the water, the sodium does. And then you can uh, either blow it off or towel dry it, you know, if you're a, a full service. Okay. Now, so that that's kind of cool. But once the resin beads com get completely absorbed and they only hold X amount of hard, grains of hardness, uh, each water softener tank does. So depending on how big your softener is, as to how long it's going to last. But once that becomes exhausted, you know, they typically, they have a meter that's counting how many gallons and we program it, uh, say, okay, well, you got 10 grains of hardness and you got a hundred thousand grain water softener as an example. So we're going to get, uh, 10,000 grains of soft or 10,000 gallons of soft water before that water softener is exhausted. And when it becomes exhausted, then it typically, the other water softener goes online and this one starts its regeneration process. And the way the regeneration works is we send a super saturated amount of salt, which is sodium water. If you were to test a TDS of your salt tank, it's going to be over 5,000 TDS. Oh, wow. But we're going to super saturate or think of a detergent. You're going to clean that resin with a strong amount of sodium and it's going to kick off the calcium. And the sodium uh, ions are going to reapply or reattach to that resin bead. So a lot of people think that, oh, my water softener is, um, it, it's not, I don't see water changing in that salt tank. It won't only during regeneration is the only time that ever happens. So okay. it's kind of interesting when you really start looking at that, um, how they actually work. Yeah, yeah. And typically you'll use um, around 12 to 15 pounds of salt per cubic foot of, of a water softener. So, um, and per a cubic foot of water, of uh, water softener resin is equivalent to 30,000 grains. So I did that wrong. I should have told you a hundred, instead of a hundred thousand, I should have said a 90,000 grain water softener. Cause then that's, that would be three cubic feet of resin in that softener tank instead of 3.1. Okay. Um, so, and so that would tell us in the three cubic feet times 12, that's how much salt. So you're going to use uh, 36 pounds of salt per regeneration. Okay. And that's a visual that if you know how hard your, how size water softener, you know, how many bags of salt you put in in a week in your brine tank, then you would know if your water softener is working properly because you could track it and say, okay, hey, I regenerated twice and I put two bags of salt in there. So I really only have two 40 pound bags. So I need to add more salt into that salt tank, you know, just kind of keep track of what's going on. Yeah. If you notice, Hey, I went through a week, I washed cars, but I didn't use any salt. Now your water softeners, not, you know, just something <laughs> the managers would realize uh, it's one more thing I got to do, but it's an important thing to keep that 
uh, extra quality car goods. So just gives your guys a visual. If they're not using salt in a week's time, there's something wrong somewhere, unless it's been raining for that week. Okay. Uh, okay, good. So it's just something to keep track of is uh, adding more to the list, but it makes the makes people more aware of what's going on. Good. This episode of The How of Car Washing is sponsored by Diamond Shine. Diamond Shine is the premier car wash chemical manufacturer dedicated to maximizing the profitability and performance of car washes. Efficiently producing clean, dry, and shiny cars nationwide, Diamond Shine helps operators create a top-notch wash experience and satisfied repeat customers. From branding and marketing to on-site problem solving, Diamond Shine's team delivers results. Visit DiamondShine.com today to learn more from the industry experts. Brian, we were talking about before we started the recording about water cost, and it's kind of interesting. You you were saying some people you, you work with don't think about the water cost or don't have a good understanding of what their water costs. Do you want to expound on that? It uh, When our, our water comes in, like at least in our utility, it's measured in acre feet. So I'm paying per acre feet of water. That's their measurement for costing. And then, you know, I basically can break that down into gallons and then I can actually track, you know, by looking at my water bill, I can divide it up. And I actually do this. I want to know what what my costs are, my cost increasing or decreasing. And I, I estimate the number of gallons of fresh water I use based on my water bill. But do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's it's interesting that when I ask people, what's your water cost? Because people say, oh, I need to reclaim. I need to get my water bill down. I said, so what is the cost? And a lot of people don't know. They're just looking, seeing that monthly water bill coming in that could be anywhere from, you know, 3000 to $8,000 a month. They just want to reduce it. So I like say, asking people, well, do a water audit on yourself. Um, Big things first is when did you change your nozzles? You know, if you've never changed your nozzles and your car wash is four years old, most likely they're the you're dumping more than the let's just say you got an 8010 nozzle. So an 8010 would be an 80 degree pattern. The 10 tells me it's a one gallon minute at 40 psi. So, but you're probably dumping more than a gallon a minute out of that nozzle. If it's all, you know, it, whether it's reclaimers, even city water will erode that nozzle over sure. time. <clears throat> so I like asking people. First, just do an audit on yourself. What equipment do you have? Have you ever changed your nozzles? Um, and looking at that. But the you really need to ask, you know, find out, look at your water bill. Like you're breaking it down already, so that's good. But most people don't have any idea whether water actually gets costing them. Uh, when we go to trade shows, I'll always ask that question. Well, well, what's your water cost? And they, I don't know. Well, what's the cost per thousand gallons? I don't know. They just know that they're looking at the financial saying, hey, my water bill is, you know, my water rates seem to be going up. So I ask that first and then we go back and do the audit and say, we're using, you know, if you have a reclaim, we're using reclaim. How can we change your water usage here to get that water consumption down? Um, We had touched on just a little bit earlier about the concentrate water. And there's a lot of places that I see that people use the concentrate water or the RO reject is another word for it. but they use that in the wash process and it's already a lot of high TDS water there. And I really believe that those applications should be a reclaimed water source up there instead of putting concentrate water there. Cause concentrate water would be like your third best water in your building, you know? So you would have, you know, RO water's the best soft water would be second. 
the city hard and concentrate water, those two actually, depending on your application, where you want to put it at, would be your, your better water source then. Um, so that's why it's, it could be three or could be four, depending on how you're laying your tunnel out and, and the hardness yeah, of the water so then. When, so when, to just kind of explain, when you produce reverse osmosis water, for every gallon of reverse osmosis water you produce, you also produce a certain percentage of what's called reject water. Is that correct? And then is, is there a, yep. is there a ratio there that should be optimum or does it depend on your water quality? Well, it depends on actually the RO system you, you're, you went with and stuff, you know, some ROs will make for every gallon made, you'll send a gallon to drain. Some of them for every gallon made, some people are trying to cut down and saying, we're going to send a half a gallon of the reject out. Um, and that's, that's cheating in a sense, because you're going to start scaling over that membrane with the impurities. If you, if you start doing some of those, you know, not following the membrane manufacturer's specifications, not mine or any other RO manufacturer, but you want to follow the membrane manufacturer spec and they want a minimum of a one-to-one -one ratio. Uh, you know, some people to make a gallon, their systems are set up to uh, send three to five gallons of uh, concentrate water or reject water out of the system. So, but we always like looking at a one-to-one -one, cause that would, that's, that's what the membrane manufacturer recommends and that's what we push okay. hard. So, uh, so that's important. Yeah. For, for the longest um, time to, we sent our reject water down the, down the drain. So we put it in the trench. We thought it was kind of cleaning up our, you know, or just giving the reject, the reclaim water a little bit more quote unquote fresh water to work with. But, you know, maybe eight to 10 years ago, we decided to capture that RO reject water and kind of use it in the first phase of rinsing is where we use it. Um, so then we have like a RO reject rinse, a city rinse, and then a final RO rinse. So, mm -hmm. and, and we, we, we end up using up, so, you know, we've got a lot more storage for RO than we do RO reject. So we tend to go through the RO reject pretty quickly during the day. And if we're busy in the middle of the day, then we end up possibly doing something like, uh, you know, and then it moves, then the, the switch or the floats then switch over to fresh water. So now it's a combination of fresh city water plus RO reject water. Is that a pretty decent strategy or? That it works good, but I would, um, uh, for that application there, I would use the reject water for your chemical applications because it's a good soft okay. water source. So you want the best bang for the water you have. So in your chemical applications for your, again, not your drying agents, but on your other area, use your soft water first, but the reject water is a good soft water source to use in the front end of okay. your car wash you know, for your CTAs, anything like that. But when you're taking the reject water and trying to rinse with it, you actually put twice as much TDS on the car that that RO water rinse has to increase now um, to get that clean water rinse, you know, to get that spot-free vehicle at the exit end then. So that's why I always look at the TDS of the waters. You want to use all the higher TDS water in the entrance and migrate down to a lower TDS and then the spot-free final rinse at the okay. exit then. So I would use the, the concentrate water or the reject water more back on the end of the tunnel side. And on that rinsing, use city hard there because it's going to help neutralize that soap suds. Soft water is going to activate the soap suds that could be still on that vehicle surface. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so is there, a, is there a reference or a rule of thumb for the amount of fresh water you should be using? So what, I'm looking at my, my utility report here and I calculate the number of cubic feet 
that the that the system tells me I use. So but between this date and this date on my water bill, you used like last month at one of our washes, we used 55,000 cubic feet of water, which if you translate that to gallons is about 412,000 gallons. And then I divide that between the number of cars. And that kind of gives me an idea of how much fresh water I'm using in my process. And I can use anywhere between 20, between 19 gallons on the low end up to about 25 gallons on the high end per car of fresh water. Now, I don't know how much of that goes back to the city. I would imagine probably 75, 80% of that gets put back in the wastewater system because, you know, our carry off, we have a little bit of carry off like all car washes do, mm-hmm. but how do, how do people measure if that's good or not? I mean, is, do you look at the end product and say, I'm happy with that. And then whatever it factors in, it factors in, or should you strive for a certain gallons per car number? Well, and again, because you're using a reclaim you're actually probably on the lower side of freshwater consumption uh, on the 19 side, uh, 25 to 35 is what, when I talk to people, they're typically, and they're, they've got a reclaimed system. They're typically using between 25 to 35 gallons of fresh water per car, which I think is too much in my opinion. Um, at your 19 gallon side, that's, that's really, you're almost at the optimum in my opinion. Uh, okay. Because you want to keep a flush of water because you're going to, your all that water goes into your reclaim and your reclaim then is going to find that equilibrium number uh, that's going to give you, once that dials in, you can dial your rest of your car wash in and you're going to turn out that same quality car at the first car in the morning and the last car at the end of the day. And that's really what your objective would be. Um, you want to give the first guy and the last guy the same type of wash. Um we used to do some work with uh, one of the coffee manufacturers and they said McDonald's never wanted to have, and I'm, I'm probably quoting this wrong. So, but they didn't want to have the best cup of coffee. They want to have the most consistent across the United States. That's all they wanted. Right. So that way, when you walked in McDonald's, you know exactly what you're getting every time, just like their burgers and their fries. And you want to do that for your customer. You want to give them the first guy and the last guy, the same wash uh, and set all your washes up the same way. Then, then they say, okay, hey, I want to join this club because no matter where I go, he gives me the same wash. Oh, no, the one down on First Street is a better does a better job. You want to hear that from a customer, but you want to fix then your second location. Um, so, you know, you don't have that being said to you anymore. So right. that's what I look at. You want to just give that same quality of wash everywhere through. Yeah, and that's, that's tough. I, w- I would say that's a very tough thing to do to try to make sure the quality is exactly the same and all your washes, because there's a lot of different variables that you're working with. Although the water might be the same, but maybe the way you set up the equipment or the age of the equipment, or you might have have a water softener here, but you didn't have it there. And it, uh, it creates some interesting, interesting challenges. It, it really when does. When it comes to that. So it's, what, what are, what are some of the typical mistakes that you see car wash owners and operators make and how would you guide them as they're thinking about either, either remodeling their car wash or, maintaining their car wash or even if they're building a new car wash? Um, the biggest thing, because I, I try to be a water management person, you know, for them to help them reduce their freshwater consumption. The biggest mistake I see is that we're trying to, because first of all, the reverse osmosis water is your most expensive water in your building because it costs you twice as much, you know, because for, to make a gallon, you dump a gallon. So, at the minimum, it costs you twice as much to make that gallon of spot-free water. So 
I like seeing a at least a six foot drip space from the last piece of equipment, six foot drip space, and then the spot free rinse. Because the ob objective is not to dump water all over the car. The object is to, and I, I like this word, the object is to displace the water that's on the surface of the vehicle to get it below the spotting level so we can have, turn out a, a spot free car. We don't have to have zero TDS water or whatever the TDS of the RO water is on the car. We just have to have it below 50 parts per million of purified water. And I say purified because you were saying earlier, your city water's 30 to 60. But we know if you take that water and put it on a piece of glass, you're going to see spots on it. Mm -hmm. But once you have it purified, you can take it up to 50 parts per million because it, there's nothing else in that water. So it's going to absorb some of the other con contaminants that might be on that surface. Um, so by giving that drip space, letting a lot of that water run off the car before you put your final rinse on there, you can use less spot-free water as your final rinse then. And that helps save money. And that's, that's really what we look at. So I, I encourage drip space. Um, you know, if a person doesn't have the drip space, putting in, you know, one of the flash blowers before the spot free actually helps. Um, if you don't have room to put, you know, and again, I know six feet is a lot of space and people look at it and say, well, I got to put something there because it's so much space. I, I should, you know, have another, another arch to, to do an application or something or another product I can sell, uh, you know, uh, for the upgrade for the customer. But you want to also get that car the best quality it can because you don't want to have somebody towel drying the car at the exit end or the customer going out towel drying after they leave unless they, you know, we all have that fanatic customer that I have to touch my car. I'm going to chamois it off or I'm going to towel dry it. But most people are so busy now they don't want to they don't want to do anything. They want it to pull out spot free and and uh, go vacuum the car or just leave from the the, the property there right and knowing their car is going to be spot free. So. Flash blowers, that's a new kind of thing we're seeing in, in the market. Do you want to describe that real quick and what it's designed to do? Well, I, I don't build equipment, but the, from what I understand, the concept is to help blow a lot of the water that's standing on the car before you go to the next application. So you might see right after a high-pressure arch, you might see a blower in the middle of that, or at, not in the middle of the tunnel, but towards the exit all by itself, and it's there to blow some of that water off the car so now you can use less chemical of the waxes and drying agents because it doesn't have to penetrate through that and I'm going to use it, that layer or film of water before it can get to the surface of the vehicle. So that flash blower blows a lot of the water off. So you can use less chemical, less water to get that exit quality car that we're all thriving to get. Okay. So that, um, so that flash blower is typically done after the washing process and then, then after the first rinse, then you see a flash blower blowing the water off. And then you get to the waxes and polishes and then you get another rinse and then your RO. Is that pretty much how that's yes. you see it? I've seen, I've seen it both places. I've seen it where it's after the dry, after the waxes, a flash blower, then spot free. I've also seen two of them in the tunnels before where the conveyor's going pretty fast. And after the last mitter, they'll do a flash blower, waxes and pay waxes and, you know, the upsells, another flash blower, and then the spot free rinse. Okay. Okay. So, um, so it just depends on what, you know, how well that water's moving off the vehicle, um, whether you need them or not. It's just, it's an interesting thing, but uh, they work. Uh, I I like drip space, but the flash blower does a really good job of, you know, if you're in a really small, tight tunnel, uh, 
Uh, that flush blower actually is a pretty good piece of equipment to have in there. Yeah, we used to have that space like you talked about where we'd let the car sit for three or four seconds and then shed its water. But now with tight tunnels, tighter tunnels and more equipment, maybe this was something just to quickly get that water off, you know, using some mm-hmm. mechanics to get it off. So, and, and it's important to do that because, I mean, it, you know, our objective is to, you know, clean the car, but also the objective is to upsell that customer you know, to the next level wash. So when you see a three to six foot span in your tongue, you're thinking, I probably can get a dollar out of that space per customer. You know, that's what you start looking at as an operator. So that's when you start thinking, okay, well, I'm going to put something there, but now I need to, my extra quality car just dropped because I'm not rinsing all the water, all that extra product off. So I'm getting spots. So what do we do? Then that flash blower is a key element to add to that tunnel package now. Right. Um, uh, and it, it does, it really does do a pretty good job. It really does. Yeah. It, um, yeah. That's something I should consider. I need to go back and I'm going to take a little harder look at my tunnel based on our conversation and try to figure out where I think things are and maybe where some things can be improved from a rinsing standpoint. One thing we are, we need to think about is our old reject water. We're putting that pretty far down the line. I'll try to figure out how to get that further up. I know our water softener, I think we tapped into our, our, cold water fresh line. So I don't know what we can do to go get the RO reject water into that, but maybe that's something we can think about from a plumbing standpoint. Yeah. It wouldn't take much because, you know, like, uh, well, it depends on what kind of chemical applicators you have and stuff, but you know, you could just run a new PVC, one inch PVC line down to your, uh, chemical lines and it would be pretty inexpensive to get it done then. Okay. Um, okay. Maybe, maybe we'll look at that. But you know, again, we don't have a lot of RO reject. It seems like we go through that pretty quickly throughout the day. Maybe if we use it in chemical application, we'll be using it slower. But it seems like if we use it as a rinse vehicle, we tend to, you know, be done quite a be done with that water quickly yes. during the day, and we we end up getting the fresh water. And it makes me feel better that I'm utilizing water. I'm trying to utilize all my water and not waste it. Um, you know, it's not only a cost perspective, but it's also, you know, trying to make sure we're being good stewards of our resource of water, which I think will be more and more, it's going to create more and more issues as time goes on. Car washes are seen as we use a lot of water and a lot of people don't understand how effectively we use water and the fact that, uh, you know, whatever water we don't use, we try to turn back into, to the wastewater system and give it back to the utility to let them use it. So it, it's, uh, you know, I feel like car washes, for the most part, they use Reclaim or as closed loop as possible, except for the carry off. But, you know, we're very, very efficient in the way we're, we're using that resource. I think so. And I think that, uh, you know, unfortunately, the car washing does get a bad name because everybody thinks, oh, it's such a big water user. But it really isn't uh, because, you know, you're not in the business to lose money. So you're going to be as efficient. That's what you just said. And But my interpretation of what you just said is you want to be as efficient because, bottom line is you want a bottom line and you know, yes, you're being a good steward, but also you're going to be turning out um, a profit on it. And the only way to really say change your dollar numbers is operating costs. You can't, you still have to have chemistry. You still have to have water, but if you can reduce the water usage, it's going to start putting more in your bottom line, especially as these water costs keep increasing. Um, And that's something that we have to be very much aware of. It's, um, depends on who you talk to, but the water costs actually include sewer when we talk about it. But most, some municipalities, if you talk to the sewer department and the water department, they don't like each other. They never want to talk to each other, but 
you're <laughs> built together. Um, yeah. and that sewer charge is really the biggest part that because they're the, the su- cities have to abide by the EPA standards for discharge. So, uh, typically the sewer bill is the higher portion of your water bill. And That's interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at my water bill here and the wastewater is actually less per car. So if I look at my wastewater charges, my, my freshwater charges are probably 20 to 40% higher than my wastewater wow. charge. Then that's, that's, yeah. that's unusual because most people now, is that uh, sanitary waste or storm sewer? It's sanitary waste. We, we were, we're actually, there's no storm sewer fees right yet. Colorado Springs has just voted in a storm sewer fee that we'll pay and it'll be a flat rate based on permeable versus non-permeable land that we have. So I think it'll be like 30 bucks a month for us to pay a stormwater fee. And it's really to kind of improve the stormwater infrastructure Mm -hmm. in town. But so, yeah, this particular cost is just straight wastewater uh, versus freshwater. But, you know, as I'm looking at the numbers, and I think I've tracked this for the last three or four years, numbers keep going up. I mean, you know, it was 30 to 40 cents a car. Now it's consistently 50 cents a car. And I even see some 60 cents a car charges, um, which, you know, you would think it would be a consistent number. It's just not a consistent, um, you know, number per se. I'm sorry. That's, that's the total cost for utilities per car. Probably my cost for water, both wastewater and regular water is between 20 and 25 cents a car. Yep. And think about that now on your, and you know how much you're spending on chemical costs. Right. And if you had 20, 25 cents of chemical costs per car, you'd be looking for another chemical guy, wouldn't you? Right. Yeah. Because you're yeah, trying, if I'm looking at my lower packages, exactly. but yes. And uh-huh. see, that's, that's the part that, you know, the, the, the water is the part that everyone knows they have to have. But if we get efficient with our water, we can reduce that cost. We just have to sure. audit ourselves um, and ask ourselves, why am I putting all this water here when, you know, especially when I'm on a freshwater, uh, we've touched on a little bit, but we haven't really said it, but you know, a lot of people think that RO reject water is free water. So they use it everywhere. But as you said, you notice that that tank runs out quite, you know, quickly. Your RO waters or tanks are still pretty full, but your reject water is lower. So it's being compensated. There's a freshwater makeup switch in that or float switch or some kind of solenoid valve or maybe a mechanical float. But you have a way of adding fresh water into that. So as soon as that fresh water turns on, that water's no longer free. And that's what I like having people look at figure out where my, why am I using all this concentrate or reject water? And should I be using a different water source at, at those applications? Uh, it's just something to look at. That's all. And uh, audit yourself is what I, what I advise people. Yeah. Yeah. And you need to take some time and do this. This needs to be part of your maintenance program and part of what your managers do on a regular basis is look at tip sizes, look at their water usage, trying to figure out where they can, you know, be more, more efficient and optimize that usage. And then, you know, working with, with chemistry individuals, working with your distributors, working with people like Bryant, who can kind of help you look at your tunnel and saying, are you using the right type of water at the right place at the right time and making sure you're getting the most efficient use of your water to produce what we all want to produce, which is a clean, shiny, dry car. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Good. And any other comments you want to, any other the tidbits of advice you want to give real quick? Real, real quick. I would suggest that on your, you know, everyone logs stuff in and they keep track of stuff. Start reading your water meter and read your, if your water softener has a uh, meter on it also, 
log those numbers in. I had a gentleman, a uh, good customer of ours, but they would, they log their meters because I suggested that they do that. And they found that about twice a month, it seemed like they used 4,000 gallons when the car wash was closed each time. That's 8,000 gallons. Ooh. And what it narrowed down to is we found that there was a, uh, the RO unit would go into a back flush and the solenoid valve was sticking on the RO unit. So it was dumping water. And it was very interesting, okay. but most people wouldn't catch that. But if your water cost is five dollars per thousand gallons, you just spent forty five or yeah, on the month and you spent forty five hundred or forty five dollars. That it doesn't sound like a lot, but in a year's time, it starts adding up. And so you're saying check check the meter like when you close and then check it before you open and see if there's any movement? Yep. Just just look at your stuff, you know, because again, you're responsible and it's your money. So make sure you know or have your managers write in and log it in and you know, when they fill out their monthly or their daily reports, give you that number because you can run the math and say, okay, for some reason today, and if you don't do it in the morning and night, if you do it at least every, if you cl at close of every night, you do it. And all of a sudden, as you check your numbers back, you say, hey, why did we use an additional 4,000 gallons? You can start looking at your car count and you say, okay, hey, look, 45 or 15 days later, we did it again. What's going on? And then you can start finding your problem. It was really interesting, but you know, it took us a while to figure out what was going on, but that's what it turned out to be. And it was just a little piece of debris and I call it construction debris. It was just a piece of PVC shaving that was kind of stuck in that solenoid valve. And sometimes it would hold it open and sometimes it wouldn't. And then if it was stuck open, eventually it did close, but it just took a while for it to close. So right, right. Uh, it's just no, really interesting stuff. That's all. Uh, no, that's a, that, that, that's find, great so. advice. That's absolutely great advice. And the water softener, what do we look for there? What are we going to be looking for if we check our water softener usage? Well, you're going to, if you notice that you use, the, again, the 4,000 gallons, you're going to know was it city hard water or was it city soft water? So if the water softener and the water meter from the city both increased, you know it's soft water. If the water meter says 4,000 gallons, but the city, the water softener meter says, I didn't use any. Now, you know, it's a hard water supply. So it could be a stuck toilet in your building, you know, in the bathroom might be leaking water all the time. Okay. So it tells you a direction of start to keep looking. You know, you get that fork in the road. Okay. Is it soft water or hard water? You'll know right away instead of guessing and trying to figure out where that problem might be. So okay, good. It's just, good these advice. are just the things that we, we look at, you know, we're trying to save everyone water uh, as best we can. And, uh, you know, I just encourage people to, you know, look at everything, you know, write all these meters down, you know, the RO units, the reclaim units, they all have our meters, write these down. So, you know, uh, you get a, a feel of what's normal for your location. And then when you okay. see the abnormal show up, you'll know exactly where to start looking instead of saying, uh, it's okay. Uh, we just want to help everybody make as much as they can on that bottom line. No, that's terrific. That's those are two pieces of advice that are very good that I'm going to go back and take a look at and try to get my team to to implement. So, Brian, always a great discussion with you. If people want to find out more information about SoBright, where would you send them to? They can go to our website at it's uh, s o b r i t e dot com, or they could reach out to me at b ruder r u d e r at SoBright s o b r i t e dot com. Uh, those are the best ways. Uh, okay, I've got terrific. 800 number two if they want to call there, 1-800-762-7483. And uh, 
be more than happy to talk to people if they want to just have a conversation. That's really how the, yeah. everything's you start fixing problems by just having a simple conversation. So uh, that's terrific. Uh, now you've always been very helpful. I appreciate it. You were out at my new site last week. So I appreciate you coming by and just poking your head around. There wasn't much to look at, but you were willing to come by and take a look. So your view to the West that. is awesome. That's what I'm, that's all I'm going to tell you. Okay. Terrific, you got to take pictures and share that with people because uh, that view to the West is just, what's the name of the car wash, David? It's uh it's wild blue car wash and it'll be uh it'll be on the east side of Denver and uh near Quincy and E four seventy. So if you're out that way. Yeah, we, we 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 do have a great view. We're actually far enough back. I think when you get far enough back from the mountains, sometimes the mountains are more dramatic in their view. And uh I think they're building houses right next to us, but hopefully we'll be able to still have our view uh for us. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. As you go through the tunnel, you'll be able to look out those because he's got windows all on the one side there on the west side. So, yeah, being from Illinois where it's all flat, mountains are pretty impressive <laughs> to me. <laughs> good, good trip. Well, hope, hopefully we'll, we'll we'll see you come back. Uh, I know you've got some family in this area, so I'm sure we'll see you come back. But it's always a pleasure to visit with you, Brian. I always learn a ton of things when I'm talking to you, and I think it's fascinating. And you always get me thinking about different things that I can do. And you're, you educate, you've been great in educating me about water and what we need to be thinking about. So thank you so much for that. We appreciate it. And, uh, and we look forward to maybe having you soon on the show again. All right. Thanks, David. I appreciate your time. Okay. Terrific. Thanks, Brian. Okay. Thank you for listening to the How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.